Welcome to Radio Rehab. If this is your first time listening, this is a show about addiction and recovery by addicts, for addicts, and their families, or anyone who knows an addict. Um, I just want to touch base with you guys to let you know that I realize that everyone is struggling right now. I also realize some people are struggling more than others. Well, lots of people are struggling more than others, but everyone is struggling. I'm coming from this from the standpoint of recovering alcoholics, recovering drug addicts, and people who suffer from mental illness. That's why it was very important for me to have someone on the show this week who addresses that. And I've chosen somebody who I have the utmost respect for, Brian Copeland. He worked at KGO when I worked at KFOG. And we didn't, of course, cross paths because the AM, FM difference. But what's most impressive about him is that he wrote a play called The Waiting Period. It's about suicidal depression. He had suicidal ideations in 2008. Um, and he overcame them and he has decided to share his struggle with everyone. And that's kind of what I hope Radio Rehab does as far as addiction and recovery goes. I feel like it's very pertinent and important that I have someone like this talk about this topic right now because I've personally lost a few people in my community in the past month. Three people have taken their lives and I'm not going to lie. I'm not in the greatest, healthiest state. You know, I get sad a lot. And I'm depressed, and I think it's important to talk to someone like Brian Copeland, who once said, your pain is not unique. And that's not to put you down. That's just to let you know there are other people out there struggling with the same thing that you're going through. So let's join the conversation with Brian Copeland. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. Brian Copeland, thank you so much for being on Radio Rehab today. I'm honored to have you on the show, uh, especially as someone who not only suffers from you know, alcoholism and drug addiction and recovering, but also somebody who suffers from chronic depression, which I've had uh, as long as I can remember, I think probably since I was about five years old. And I would love to talk to you about The Waiting Period, which is your play about suicidal depression. First, I want to say thank you very much for having me because I didn't know what to expect because when I heard rehab, I thought, do I have to do this, this show for 28 days? Well, it's exactly <laughs> short. Well, this don't short. work anyway. <laughs> it's, it's, it's rehab. Okay. And how many times do I have, how many chances do I get? I've been in 14 rehabs. So, I mean, you can do this as many times as you want. <laughs> have you really? Have you done that? Literally. Before? Yes, literally. 14 rehabs since I was 16. I, I've done one. I did one for alcohol. I made the stupid, the, you know, the, the, the stupid choice that a lot of us make who suffer from depression, and that is that we self-medicate with yep. a depression. So we take a depression in order to deal with depression, which is really not very bright. And I know. So it's I, so funny. Like, why am I even worse? Oh, because <laughs> it's <laughs> alcohol. I'll have another drink. That'll cheer me up. Exactly. For five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Until time for the next one. <laughs> exactly. So I did one and mine, I, I had a gig, so I didn't do all 28 days. I did mine, I did it in, I had 19 days, so I'm an overachiever, so I did it night. And so far, I've got five, five and a half years I've got, I've got so far. Wow, good for you. Good for you, I've got four and a half, awesome. All right. Yeah. All right, awesome. <laughs> so the waiting period, um, 
the waiting period came about, um, it, I, I do solo plays, and the way the waiting period came about was, um, it, it's, it's about a, a really bad bout of depression that I had back in 2008 when I was suicidal, and I had gone through a series of tragedies. Um, well, let me back up and say, I, I have suffered from depression since adolescence. I didn't know what it was. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't um, actually diagnosed as depression until I was in my 30s before, you know, I, I just, you know, thought that this was just, you know, how it was. Sometimes I'd be blue, sometimes I wouldn't be blue. And, and when I was blue, I would just take a drink or, or two yeah. or, or 10. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I was, um, had been diagnosed with it and I had a series of calamities in 2008. I had a marriage breakup. My grandmother, who raised me, had a stroke and died suddenly. I got into a, a really bad car accident that uh, ended up injuring my spine where I had to have spinal cord surgery. And if anything went wrong with the surgery, I would be quadriplegic for the rest of my life. So all of these things happened all at once. And I was, after the surgery, I had nothing to do but lay around for three months in, in a neck brace and pop Vicodin and hope that it was successful. And during that time, you know, the worst thing for a depressive, as you know, is time alone in your own head. Oh, the worst neighborhood ever. Yeah. Time alone in your oh. own head. Yeah. Yep. So I spent this time alone in my own head and, and started spinning my own wheels. And I decided that I just couldn't do it anymore. So um, I went to a gun shop and I bought a 32 caliber Beretta Tomcat in order to commit suicide with. But California has a 10 day waiting period before you can get your hands on a gun. Thank God. Yeah. And, and by the time I, I don't want to give away the, the, the end of the, of, of the story. I don't want to, I don't want to tell you Rosebud's the sled. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't ruin that for you, I hope. I, 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 ruin I love the Citizen Kane reference. I love it. <laughs> okay. Right. School. I get it. I went to theater school. I love it. <laughs> I just assume everybody's seen it. If not, I, I'm sorry. If they haven't, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I came to my senses before the end of, of the 10 days. So this is 2008. So, so, you know, so jump forward to 2012. And a very, very close friend of mine, I, I played with the idea of telling the stories. I already had... Um, one very personal show that I did called Not a Genuine Black Man that ended up running off-Broadway and being the longest-running one-man show in the history of Bay Area theater. But I caught up in San Leandro when San Leandro was 99.99% white. And <laughs> right. And, and, um, and so I thought about, you know, everybody kept asking me, what's my follow? You know, because Genuine ran for eight years. So I mean, what's your next story? What's your next play? I don't know. And I thought about telling this story. And then a very close friend of mine had a nephew, a young man I never met, a young man by the name of Colton Fink, who um, laid down on the railroad tracks up in, the, up, uh, in, in Northern California. He was, he was 14 years old oh. and laid down, laid down on the railroad tracks. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to tell this story because maybe by telling the story, somebody who's thinking about this will realize, hey, you know what? It's not just me. You know, I'm, I'm not just alone. Um, there are other people who feel this way, and and if um, if he can can stand up there for seventy five minutes and spill his guts to strangers, then I can tell somebody that I'm having thoughts that are not in my best interest. 
God, I love that because, you know, when I share my thoughts like that, it's with, you know, a group of people in the Alcoholics Anonymous community and, it, you know, there's tons of people who understand it, but talking to strangers, they don't, you know, they won't personally understand my drug and alcohol story and all that goes with it, especially the suicide part, you know, that was, it was really, really hard. So, I mean, that, that's extremely brave to share that amongst people who might not get it at all. Yeah, and that, you know, I'd say the people that don't get it at all are actually my favorite people to, to, to perform it for because it enlightens them. You know, um, one of the nicest emails I got was from a lady who said she'd been married for 30 years and her husband just couldn't understand why. Hey, the sun's shining, the birds are chirping. Why can't you just snap out of it? And, yeah. and she dragged him kicking and screaming to the show. He didn't want to go. And at the end of the show, for the first time in their 30-year marriage, he turns to her and said, is that what you go through? Is that what that's like for you? And they actually had a conversation about it. And suddenly, like a light bulb went off. And I can't say that he got it, but he got it better than he did when he walked in. And he had more intellectual curiosity about it to be able to give her some more support other than, hey, oh, come on, stop, stop being such drama queen. The right. Yeah. Exactly. Like nobody tells a quadriplegic to just stand up and walk. That, you know, exactly. people tell manic depressives to cheer up all the time. Exactly. Get over it. Yeah. Exactly. Have a nice day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cheer up. Look, everything's fine. It's like, no, it's not. It's a nightmare in my mind. <laughs> So, so that shows basically it's an intervention, and I do the show for free um, once, uh, one or two Sundays a month at, uh, at the, the Marsh in San Francisco on Valencia Street. I'll do the show for free, and the idea is that it is an intervention, and it's, there are literally people who are walking around today who would not be here were it not for that play. Um, mm -hmm. One of the stories that, that every time I think about it gives me chills, this woman... Um, is sitting in a cafe on a Sunday morning in San Francisco and she's planning on jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. And she's having her coffee and she's having, there's her plan. She's going to drive to the bridge. She's going to jump. And the San Francisco Chronicle Pink section happens to be on her table and it's open and it's open to a page. They have me a picture of me in there and that, that week. Uh, and it's talked about how the show was available and was free. And so she flipped a coin. Heads, she would go to the show. Tails, she would go to the bridge. And it came up heads, and she came into the show. And the whole message of the show is to tell someone. If you're somebody who's struggling or somebody who's having a, a, a hard time, you know, you have nothing to be ashamed of. You, you wouldn't be ashamed or embarrassed if you had Lou Gehrig's disease or right. if you had cancer or anything else. Don't be ashamed or em embarrassed because of this. Yeah, you know, just tell somebody uh, because there is support there for you. So that's what she did. She told somebody. She went and she told her uh, her sister after the show, and her sister got her some help. But it was all because of if if the if the coin had come up tails, it would have been a different story. But I love I love hearing those stories. That that's what makes it all worthwhile for me. Oh, I'll bet. I mean, that, yeah, that's what makes everything worthwhile. Like that's why we share our innermost secrets is because it might help somebody else. That's, you know, that's the only reason. And narcissism. <laughs> I mean, there's that. I know we're both radio people, so yeah, there's the, there's definitely that too. <laughs> that's what I did. I helped this one guy. <laughs> so there you go. Excuse me while I break my arm, patting myself on the back. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
And I mean, and uh, another thing I want to talk to you about is uh, you're doing a podcast called Beating the Demon. Yeah. And it's daily and it's, it's because, right, I mean, let's just break the ice on this. Right now, things are really difficult. I have never yep, quoted yep. Tony Soprano on Radio Rehab before, but I just started rewatching it just to take my mind off stuff at some point. And there's a part where he says, life is putting my Prozac to the test. And I, because I'm on Prozac, I feel that every day. I'm like, oh my God, should I up my dosage? Life is really putting my Prozac to the test. So it's like, how do we talk, how do we deal with what's going on right now on top of the fact that we already have clinical depression and everything else? Well, the, th the thing that's interesting is that people who don't have clinical depression are showing signs of mental health problems and depression because of what's going on. I mean, because, I mean, you have to think about what's happening right now. We have the worst pandemic in 100 years. We have the worst economic decline in 91 years since the 1929 stock market crash and the worst social unrest since 1968, and so 52 years. And we have them all at the same time. All three of these once in a lifetime things are all happening at once. So there are people who normally don't deal with depression and normally this is not something that they struggle with who are struggling. So it's like, it, it's, and we've got it squared. You know, we've got it squared. So uh, when I started being a demon, when I, when I started recording these, I started recording them about three weeks before they aired, which is before all of this stuff, you know, I mean, we were in there, we were just getting into the pandemic at the time, but uh, some of the rest of the stuff hadn't, hadn't happened. And, and certainly the, the George Floyd uh, uh, murder and aftermath had not taken place. Um, my whole idea was that I wanted to, there are things that I know that I can do and tricks that I've learned from therapy or from reading or from things that I've stumbled upon that make me feel better. I'm not saying they're a cure, because there's not a cure, but there are things that I can do that I know that I can do that, that will make me feel better. I, I know that, that, I, that I know that if I, I can put on Pat Benatar's Hit Me With Your Best Shot and I'm 17 cruising with my buddy in his 1971 TR6, and that makes me feel better. You know, I right. know that, that, that if I'm grateful for things, I know that, that if I think about the things in my life that I have gratitude for, that even if it's for a minute, it makes me feel better. So I came up with this idea and I, I call depression the demon. You know, when, yeah. when the demon has me or the demon whispers things in you, you know, the best way, the way that I describe it in the waiting period is, is it's like there's a voice whispering in your ear that's trying to kill you. Yeah. You know, that's how I describe it. And I call it the demon. And, and so when the demon, you know, there are tricks that you can use to keep the demon at bay, or tricks that I use to keep the demon at bay. So the idea is, is that five days a week, Monday to Friday, um, in two to, I take two to five minutes to tell you one of the things that I do to make myself feel better in the hopes that maybe it might make you feel better too. And maybe it will be something to help destigmatize mental health and destigmatize the disease. I mean, that's, that's what the idea of it is. You know, and I tell people up front, I'm not a, a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist, I am not an expert in the field of mental health. I'm just somebody who has, has dealt with this scourge since, uh, since I was an adolescent. And here are just some of the things that I've learned. Yeah. I mean, I feel the same way about my depression and, you know, my addiction and alcoholism is it's like, it's a voice that talks to me 
in my own voice. So I don't realize that it's, it's not me. And that it's actually, I call it the dragon, but same thing, the demon, you know, it's like, it was a dragon that was dormant inside of me for a long time. And then it's like, it's very easy for me to wake it up. And when I wake it up, it talks to me in my own voice and it tells me really bad ideas, you know, like that I should just go back to heroin because the world is going to hell or, I mean, things like that, or, or, or that I should just kill myself because what's the point? And it's like, and it sounds like my own voice when I hear it. And that's, that's the crazy thing is it's not me. That's not my higher power. That has nothing to do with me. That's just my depression and my mental illness and stuff like that. And I think it's great for people to have, especially if it's something like brief every day and it's not like, oh, you have to pay $300 to go on this like, you know, retreat and learn all this stuff. Cause that's too much for me. That's too much for everybody out there right yeah. now. Especially. Now, these are little things. I mean, these yeah. are just little things that you can do from, you know, from, from, from taking a 10 minute walk and the goal of the 10 minute walk is I'm going to look for beauty. You know, whether I'm walking in a park or walking in the street, there's something I'm going to find that's beautiful and I can't leave, I can't turn around and go back home until I find something that I believe is beautiful. And, and you can't, you can only hold one thought in your head at, 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 at one time. You can only hold on to really one emotion at, at, one, at one time. You can't hold two. It's like pain and pleasure. You can't, you can't have pain and pleasure both at the same time. Although there are some people in the city who I heard can. But, but, but generally... In this city, yeah. In, in, our, in our city. <laughs> um, uh, but, but generally, you can only hold on to one, one at a time. So you go until, you know, you see a pretty flower, or you see a bird, or you saw, you know, uh, I did this yesterday, and I saw a turkey walking down the street with her chicks. And, okay, that's it. I can turn around and I can go back home now. I mean, so I said it's little things, you know, make, um, uh, one of the things that the demon will whisper in your ear is that you're, you're worthless, you're useless, that nobody yep. cares about you and nobody wants you and it doesn't nobody matter. Nobody wants you here. Yeah, they'd be better off not. without you. And so one of, the, one of the tips is, is that at a time when you're healthy, make a list of all of the good qualities, make a list of all of the good of your accomplishments and things that you've done that have been good things and people who love you. And when that voice is, is whispering in your ear that you're worthless, you pull that list out and you look at it. Yeah. So it's, it's little things like this. Nothing's more, nothing's more than about three minutes or so. And, and there's nothing super complicated about it, you know, yeah. and I make, you know, and I make no guarantees. These are just things that help me. These are just yeah. things that help and I hope that they help other people. And two to three minutes is kind of all we can handle right now, especially, you know, when we're so overwhelmed with social media and so overwhelmed with the news mm -hmm. and things like that, like two to three minutes is all we can handle. Somebody tells me to meditate for an hour and I want to die. I mean, that sounds so yeah. painful. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. You're hot yoga. And I don't want to do that either. <laughs> you know, like, you know what? I've been, I've, my sister's been pushing hot yoga on me. How is that? It is I mean, you're asking the wrong person. I hate it. I'm from Louisiana. So, I mean, to me, it's like, throw me back in the swamp. This is awful. You're just in these really uncomfortable poses, and it's so hot that you just can't take it. But I know people who swear by it. I don't, I don't know. So my sister, she swears by it. Because I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm stiff, and, and, I, and I don't have a lot of flexibility. So I was going to do yoga. No, you got to do Bikram yoga. You got to do hot yoga. You need to do the hot yoga. It'll change your life. So you're from Louisiana. I don't hear it. 
Oh, oh, yeah. my parents say I lost my accent on the plane, but that's because I did voiceovers and radio my whole life. So the minute I was called out for my accent, because it was, you know, it was really thick when we moved to Los Angeles, uh, I, I lost it. <laughs> but I also kind of overcorrected and people are like, are you from Chicago? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> now, if you go back, if you go back to Louisiana, does it come back or does it come out? Oh, or yeah. If you're oh, yeah. When I'm in Louisiana and Mississippi, full on. Absolutely. Yeah. You can hear it all. Huh? Well, that, I, that's because that's where I'm from, Louisiana and Mississippi. Oh, I see. Louisiana, yeah. Mississippi. <laughs> For vacation. No, <laughs> that's like a family there. Yeah. No, I mean, and it's, it's like, it's a whole new thing. I mean, I love being around my family and love being around all the people, but yeah, my accent comes back. Even when I talk to them on the phone, you can kind of hear it. You know, it's like my grandparents didn't understand me unless I, you know, but like if I said fine, my grandfather didn't understand what I was saying. If I said fine, he totally understood what I was saying. (laughs) And that's something we have in common, you know, right before COVID, um, my Grammy had a stroke and passed away and she was my last living grandparent. And so it's like that happened and then we went right into COVID and it was like, oh my God, it's so heavy because I'm a grandparents kid. Like I love my grandparents. I loved all of them. And now I don't have any left. And it's, it, but I, I went through the same thing. You know, I mean, my, my big suicide attempt was like around, I think 2010 when that actually happened, 2010 or 2011. Um, mm-hmm. but, but like I felt it again this time, you know, I felt that urge again. I felt that you don't need to be here. Now you're not going to really hurt anybody. You know, your grandparents are all gone. You're not going to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. You go. That's what I told myself. You know, like, like it wouldn't affect my mom. How, how awful is that, you know? Well, you're not in your right mind. Well, no, don't, don't judge it. You know, don't judge it. Yeah. How awful is that? Because you're not in your right mind. And, and, and that's the thing. You know, you're, you're not in your right mind when you're in that kind of despondency. Again, the demon's taking over and it's whispering right. and, and it's, it's giving you fake news in your ear. Right. Yeah. Nobody yeah. wants you here. They'll be better off without you. Like things, things that are just yeah. so like patently true. Yeah. And that, that, that is another one of the, of the, the, the tips that I did in, uh, in beating the demon. And that is to learn to argue back with that voice. Nobody loves you. That's not true. My mom does. My sister does. Uh, we are absolutely useless. Well, actually that's not true because today I, you know, help my neighbor bring in her groceries and she wouldn't have been able to do it without me. You learn, you learn to argue back with that voice. And, and again, none of this is easy. It's yeah. easier said than oh, yeah. done. Totally. Yeah. It's all easier said than done. I mean, one of the things that seems like to be the easiest thing to do is the hardest thing to do. And that was the second episode, which is get your ass up. Cause I'll oh, spend oh my God, yeah. get, get your ass up. I, I mean, I spent a week in bed. I mean, I've spent a week in bed before. Mm-hmm. You know, not able to get out and get out. And, and you force yourself to get out and just nothing, doesn't have to be anything, you know, you have to run a marathon. Just get up and take a shower. Get right. out of bed, take a shower, put on some clean clothes. Okay, now go sit outside. Even if it's, even if it's just sitting in the backyard or yeah. in the front yard, but just get up. Don't stay, you know. I watched, I, I, I got for a, a Christmas present all 13 seasons of Dallas. The night, the eighties, nineties, so Dallas, and yes. I spent a weekend. I spent a week in bed and watched all thirteen seasons. I mean, that's how it was when I was in a bad bout. I'm doing <laughs> the same thing, not with Dallas, but I'm doing with twenty four. I, I mean, I did literally. I watched the whole series, all eight thousand episodes. 
in a week. I, I completely relate to that. Like, why can't you bathe? I mean, it's the same with like drug addiction. You just, like, you just can't get out of bed and face life. I have a friend who suffers from depression and uh, she makes a gratitude list and sends that out to us, to her friends. And then we write our own gratitude list and send it back to her. And what she always puts on it is I'm grateful to have gotten on the other side of my front door today. And I feel like only people who suffer from depression get that. It's like, that's a big deal. That's a a big deal to get out that door. It's a huge deal, and, yeah. and it's it's it, to make yourself. Well, I mean, even people who don't deal with 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 what it is that we struggle with, to make yourself do something that you don't feel like doing. Oh, yeah, it, I mean, it's. I mean, they call it discipline. For us, it's it's even more than that. It's it's right. for us. It's it, for us. It, you know, you know, getting out of bed when you know during that week that I was watching DVDs, to say to me to get out of bed, you might as well have said to me to go climb Mount Everest. Right, exactly. Or just to get in the shower. It's like, go yeah. jog around the block. Wait, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like one thing. It's like, it seems so simple, but it's so difficult. When, you know, you really have to talk yourself out of it. That's why I think it's so good to have something like beating the demon and something that people can listen to for short periods of time that their brain can handle. You know, that they're not overstimulated by too much information and too many, you know, affirmations and things they don't feel like they can do. Where yeah. they can just go forward and do it because it's a one second thing. Yeah, that's basically it. That's, that's it in, in a nutshell. So, when, so tell me about, about, about yours. When, when were you first diagnosed with, with mental illness or with addiction? Well, when I was about... 15 years old, my parents put me in a treatment center and they were like, she's not just a drug addict because I was really, that was my first drug. It wasn't my drug of choice. It, it was my first drug was speed. My drug of choice ended up being heroin and alcohol. But so they put me in the treatment center and they were like, she's, she's got depression. That's why it's so easy for her to just not use this drug and to just be depressed and not want to get out of bed. Like she's got depression. And then they put me on a Fexer. And, you know, and that did not work for me. It made me really speedy and that's not how I like to feel. And they put me on a bunch of different things. Like I've been on so many different antidepressants my whole life. And it's ironic that Prozac, one of the oldest ones, right. is the one that's worked for me. But that's, that's when I was diagnosed with depression. Um, but like uh, I, I kind of was born with depression, but it was pre-verbal. So I never noticed it. My biological father was a civil rights activist and he was killed when my mom was nine months pregnant with me. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, I went through that in her womb, but I didn't know that. Nobody knew that back then, that that was a thing that could affect you before you could even talk or even born. You know, Because right. I had a really loving family, a great family. So from the outside in, it was like, what's wrong with you? You know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I had like deep underlying depression and I've always tried to mask it with chemicals. I've always tried to fix it. And it's really, it's a struggle to not do that, honestly. And what was, what was the low point? What, what was your bottom? Oh my God. Wow. My bottom was, I mean, I was homeless. I was, I mean, I was out on the streets on 16th and Mission, sleeping under a shopping cart with cardboard under me strung out with no more veins left. I had been assaulted. It, I mean, it was just, that was, that was when I, and my dad actually, he got clean and sober when I was 10 and a half years old. And that was the time I finally called him and said, come get me and I'll, I'll do this. I'll try recovery. And it took me a bunch of tries. Like that's not, that was not the end of my road because I'm somebody who likes to do a lot of research evidently. 
like mm -hmm. oh, this is good but let me go back to the easy way you know i've totally <laughs> i've just got that ingrained in me for some reason i'm a lazy teenager at heart and uh but but yeah it took me a while it took me you know i think about 15 more years until i finally got it and i ended up calling the cops on myself in a parking lot in oakland and was like if somebody doesn't come help me i'm gonna kill myself and they 51 50 you yeah yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Not for the first time either. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been 52 50. <laughs> Not that I'm proud of it, but it's like, yeah, I mean, it's so funny that somewhere deep down inside me, somebody knew I needed help. And so I reached out and was like, I, I got to get help or I'm, I'm literally going to die in this parking lot. And that's when you believe, in, in, and I'm now going to get religious for a second, but that's when you believe that there is a God or a higher power. Because yep. there's, there's so many times I think about now times when I dropped, when I drove, when I shouldn't have been driving. Oh my and God. I, 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 I could have hurt somebody else. I could have hurt myself. I mean, I'm just, you know, thank God. Yeah. Um, I could have killed myself and people and other people. I mean, I, I've told people this a million times. Like, I didn't drive sober for 10 years. But like, that's terrifying who was somebody must have been carrying me you know my angels you know my like my higher power like all of them i think were carrying me for a long time but i also feel like i was drinking and using to drown out their voices because i know they were going stop there's a better way there's a better way than this you know and i would just drink and drink and turn the radio up louder so i didn't have to hear them so they say the good lord takes care of fools and drunks that's right. <laughs> Especially <laughs> us. Especially <laughs> us. Well, I'm both. Who will drunk? You and me. Hello, sister. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So where can we find your podcast, Brian? Because I know it's going to help so many people, especially people in my community, you know, like all addicts and, and awesome. alcoholics. So, I mean, so where, where can we find Beating the Demon right now? Uh, everywhere. It's everywhere? A, I, it, yeah, you can get it on iTunes, you can get it on Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere that you get podcasts or you listen to your favorite podcasts, including this one, uh, you can get Beating the Demon. So go and subscribe and a new one drops every morning. There's a different one that drops every morning. You can start your day with it. Well, I wish I got a chance to hug you when we worked in the same building because I was at KFOG and you were at KGO. So I really wish I got a chance to get a hug in there when we were in the uh, same building. But someday. Someday, someday, someday I'm, I'm going to give you a big hug. <laughs> hey, so question, how are, are you, are you doing meetings and how, and I, I wondered how AA is working and in terms of how, how you do meetings during, during COVID. It is weird. I mean, it's Zoom. It goes against the traditions, as they say. Right. You know, you're not supposed to be online, but we have to do that or we'll die. You know, there's newcomers. I, every meeting I go to, there's somebody with six days sober. And my hat's off to that person, but I also cannot fathom how difficult that is right now in the current climate with what's yeah. going on. And you can't talk to somebody after the meeting. You can't hug anybody. You don't get to hold hands to do the prayer. Like it, there's just so much missing from it. But I also have, I'm trying to look at it positively. Like I can also go to meetings in New York. I can go to meetings in Scotland. You know, my, the coolest one I went to was a nooner in Ireland. I could oh, hardly understand cool. them, but it was awesome. You know, like, how, do you find, how are you finding them? Um, so if you go to like, you know, AA.org or any other. So for us, it's like SF, it's AASFmoren.org for the Bay Area. Like you go there and all the Zoom meetings are listed. And if you go to any city in America, besides people where they're not, you know, where they're not doing social distancing like North Dakota, which I wouldn't go there anyway. Like yeah. every other place, you can find a Zoom meeting. I want to do Scotland. I want to talk to a bunch of drunks and kilts. 
Yeah, That's me too. Fun. Me too. I know. Scotland <laughs> and Ireland were my favorite. It's like, wow, they can be sober. I can be sober because, I mean, they'll serve an eight-year-old in Ireland, you know? Yeah. You know, it was funny. Something I found out in the last month is I, I was born in Akron City Hospital. In Akron, no, in, Ohio? Akron in Ohio. In Akron the City Hospital is, is where AA started. Was That's there. Right. That's where I was born. Wow, that is yeah. so cool. That is so cool. I'm going to do something over the weekend. It's called Stepping Stones, where you eat lunch on Bill Wilson and Lois Wilson's like doorstep. Usually it's a personal thing, but now we're doing that online too. You can go get a little tour of the house, and then they have several meetings there. They have AA, Alateen, and Al-Anon, you know, to help everybody. And, and you could do that. I mean, there's so many cool things. I've been, to, I've been to retreats online with my sponsor. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, the, our community has really stepped up, which surprised me because I always look at them as such an old school community. You know, I mean, the book was written in like 1934 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They're just sticklers for the rules, but they have really branched out and surprised me and made me proud. Now, have you got sponsees? Yes, I do. do you, and they're, they're flourishing. <laughs> how many? Two. Two? Good for yeah. you. Yeah. I I mean, I'd like to get more, but I'd also like to work the steps again myself. You know, I feel like I need a reboot, right? Especially right now. I, I like, I need an overhaul and a reboot. Yeah. And a Valium. Totally. Like Steven Tyler, I'm going to take a mime Valium and just pretend like it's there and act as if. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for being on the show, Brian. I can't wait to see you in real life and give you an actual hug. All right, you're on. It's a date. Thanks so much to Brian Copeland for being on the show. If you would like to find him, his website, it's briancopeland.com. He has two podcasts, one called Copeland's Corner, which is a weekly podcast. He has another one called Beating the Demon, which is a weekday podcast where he talks about depression and his own simple fixes for it, which help all of us. I can guarantee you they helped me a lot today. If you would like to contact us, the phone number is 415-496-9511. Even when we're not in studio, it's at Radio Rehab Dana on all the socials and Radio Rehab at GoToProductions. That's G-O-T-O Productions.com if you would like to email us. Thank you for listening. And our next guest we will have in studio is Bruce from New York. And I'm really looking forward to that. Again, thanks for listening. Thank you, Brian Copeland. And keep coming back.